welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 121 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 17th of November 2013, entitled The Glorious Church of Jesus Christ, Part 53. And the Bible reading is taken from 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. If you'd like to be turning in your Bibles for our scripture reading this morning, First of all, to 1 John chapter 2, of course, as you're turning there, I remind you of the passage that as we have been looking into the Word of God for some time in the church, in our series on the church, we've looked at the defining of the New Testament church, the design of the New Testament church, the duty, the destiny, and we've been looking, though it's been a few weeks since we were here, at the defense of the New Testament church. And of course, we remind ourselves that it was Jesus Christ himself that said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So in everything that we're looking at on the defense of the New Testament church, we keep in mind, first of all and foremost, that it is Jesus Christ himself that is the great defender. It's only in him. Without him, we have absolutely no strength whatsoever anyway. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2, and as we continue this morning, we want to, uh, to read there verses 15 through 17. I invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's precious and holy word, again beginning in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. The word of God says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The world passeth away and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Father, thank you again this morning. Thank you as we gather here, Lord, that we're not gathered here to hear man's words, and to get man's wisdom. Lord, we've just read, Lord, these wonderful words from your word that you have given to us, that you've preserved for us down through the centuries. And Lord, we pray now that as we look at these thoughts for these next moments, Lord, that you would take and speak to our heart. Give us all something, Lord. Lord, that would make us more like our Savior this morning. Save that one that might be lost. Restore the backslider. Restore unto those that, Lord, may have lost it, the joy of their salvation this day. And we will give you all the praise and thanks for it. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. As we begin to think on the defense of the church, as we said, everything that we say must be anchored to that truth that it's Jesus Christ that will build his church and that he is the defender of that church. And we look first of all at the occupation of the church. And of course, we won't go back and, uh, and look at all those things again, but just a, a reminder that it was Jesus himself that gave the parable that said, occupy till I come. A reminder that the church is not this building. If this building is going to be of any use to God, it's going to have people within it. The body of Christ is the people, not the building. And of course, sometimes we get the idea that just because a church is there, it will always be. That's not true. Simple truth is, is that churches close down around us all the time. 
The building ceased to exist because there's no longer a people occupying that belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we, we looked at another of things of the importance of that, that, that any church, in order to survive and in order to be able to accomplish that which the Lord has left us here to do, it's going to take some commitment from somebody. Uh, we find as we look through this that, you know, that, that occupying the church doesn't mean just occupying a seat whenever it's convenient. Uh, occupying the church, Jesus makes very clear, which we'll look at in that parable at some time later, Jesus makes it very clear that he's left us with a work to do while he is away. And his occupying is not a matter of doing nothing. It's doing all that we can with all that he's given to us. If this church is to survive, somebody's going to have to be committed to Bethel Free Baptist Church. There is no other way that it'll be here. Somebody is going to have to occupy. But we want to turn our attention to a second thought. You know, if we do occupy, if this church is here, if it goes on for the glory of the Lord until Jesus Christ returns for us one day, there will be opposition. There will be opposition. Now, sometimes we kind of shy away. Well, you know, why would I want to be more committed if it's just going to bring me more opposition? Well, we can be absolutely certain that when it comes to a church that is doing anything for God, there will be opposition. Anytime that the Lord is blessing, that the Lord is moving, that the Lord is, is changing people's lives, there will be opposition if nothing's happening, if the truth isn't going forth. If no one is making a difference in this world anyway, the devil certainly doesn't care. That opposition, why would he oppose something that is, is doing him a favor? It might be God working in the life of a single individual. There might be somebody here today that what God has for you will make all the difference in your life. It might be God doing something in the church as a whole that God wants to do something mightily that is beyond us, but that God wants to do through us. The truth is, is that either way, if God is doing something, if there's any potential for something good coming from it, there will be opposition. What is the root of that opposition? Well, we've just read in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15, you know, these things are easy to say. I was, I was talking to somebody earlier in the week, and, and it's absolutely amazing. And I guess that sometimes it can bring phenomenal frustration to a pastor because sometimes it's so amazing to sit and look at what God is saying, what God is wanting to do, to see the potential that is, that is there and what God could do. And yet, so many times, it just coasts along. The truth doesn't find that resting. Have you ever read a passage in God's Word that maybe you'd read a hundred times before and suddenly, wow, just like God turned a light on it. For the first time, you, you saw something that really was, was life-changing for you. Well, the truth is, is there is nothing, there is nothing I can say here this morning that'll make any difference in your life. Oh, I mean, you know, I might could say something and do something to I might could crack a joke and get you to smile and maybe even giggle a little bit. I, I might could tell you a sad story and get you to shed a few tears and cry. I might be able to, to give you some kind of a, a motivational talk and get you motivated in some way in this world. But to make a difference in your life, 
I can't do that. No man can do that. Only God can do that. But the problem is so many times we're not open for God changing us. We're just in a comfort zone. We're satisfied with where we are and with what's going on. You know, these words here, they're, they're quite life-changing. If, if, if these verses would just really take root in our lives, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Do you know that lost or saved, the thing is, is that it is just a normal thing for your flesh to love the world and the things of the world. It is a natural thing. For a sinner, there is no choice. He only has that old sinful nature that he was born with, and the world is the only thing. But for a Christian, you know, God's given you a new nature. That old man is dead. There's a new creation. He didn't just do an overhaul job. He created you new in Jesus Christ. He says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Why would he say that? Well, he explains, for all, does your Bible say that? For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh. <laughs> you see, we're not saying you can't desire those things and you can't want those things. You know, in the flesh, you will. And, you know, unless God is in full control of our lives, that's going to come not just to the unbeliever, but as Christians, i got news for you. I still got an old flesh. It gets older all the time. <laughs> it might get less active in some ways, and all those things, as far as the, the physical body is concerned, there's a new me, thank God, on the inside. But there's still the old flesh that I have to contend with for all, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, you see things, you want things. You see something and you want it and you desire it. It might be something because it, it's going to be fun. It might be something that's going to make you more, more comfortable. It might be something that will make life easier. It might be something that you just think that you would enjoy. The lust of the eyes and the pride of life. You know, one of the hardest things for all of us, and your pastor will take the top of the list, is recognizing just how much help we need. We just, we, you know, sometimes we just, we just feel that we're everything that we need to be or that we're all that we need to be or that somehow that we can handle the situation ourselves. We get confident in our, in our Christian faith, in our church. We can get so confident in the fact that we're just always here and things are going to be here, we can be so organized. All of our programs in place, we become too confident in ourselves and not depending upon Him. Life-changing, life-changing words. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world, it passeth away. And the lust thereof. 
but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Now we'll see some things later on. The simple truth is that makes absolutely no sense to the world, and that's one of the things that'll, that'll bring opposition to us. We don't belong to this world. We're not citizens of this world. Yes, we'll also see something else, that even when Jesus was in this world, there were those that condemned him because of the places that he went and the things that he did. But his desire was not for the things of the world or the people of the world. His desire was that they would come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. What consumes us as we look around us and as we live in this real world? Is it the world itself that we are in love with? The Bible says, hey, there's coming a day. He's not saying that your flesh can't enjoy it. Matter of fact, he's saying your flesh will desire it. But one day it's going to all be gone. He wants to give you something that will last beyond this world, beyond the things that are so temporal here. So these three things are mentioned here, and as we look through these thoughts, keep those things in mind, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Because you see, in all these points, it really points back to one big problem that we have. Even if we are occupying the church as far as occupying the seats, our biggest problem, our biggest opposition is not all those ungodly people out there. It's not all the, the sin that we see around us and all those, those bad people. Do you know that the greatest opposition that this church and any church will ever have? Me. Self. That's where these things rest. It all comes back to Self, because as we have tried to, to see so clearly, the church is not the building. It's not an organization. It's a living organism made up of baptized, blood-washed, born-again children of God. The truth is, I don't know about you, but I think what the Apostle Paul painted when he talked in Romans chapter 7 about the battle that he had with his flesh there's nothing compared to the battle I have sometimes, I feel. And that's our greatest opposition. And as we look at all these things, let's keep in mind, so many times we can point out, well, the biggest problem in our church is old so-and-so over there and their attitude and what they're doing and what they're not doing. It's always, let me tell you something. If you don't want to be here today, if you can't find enough reasons, just ask me. I can give you a, a whole list of things that you can find wrong if you want to be away. And if enough people do that, believe it or not, the church here ceases to exist. It's not just here because a building is built here. It's here because of those that are within it. And if we're in it and if we're committed to it, there will be opposition. And the greatest opposition that we're ever going to have is dealing with me. We find that the greatest battles will come from within, not without. Oh, you know, we, we do have. We do have this, this, this one real arch enemy that opposes the work of God 
His name is Satan. But you know that he does some of his greatest work through individuals. And sadly, it's often the individuals within the church and sometimes those that are really trying to do God's will, and most of the time they don't even realize it. I mean, it was the apostle Peter that Jesus looked at and said, get behind me, Satan. He was one of the closest that could get to Jesus at that time. He was one of his dearest workers. If this pride of life, if it fills you in such a way that you don't think Satan could use you, then you're in serious trouble. You have some serious opposition. And your opposition is not what anybody else is doing or thinking or not doing or not thinking. It's coming from within. It comes from within us as individuals, and our greatest opposition within this church or any church will come from within the church not without. Our enemy is real, but he uses people, unsuspecting people most of the time. I've never found many Christians. I'm trying my best to think. I, I've met some people that I wondered if, if they were doing what they were doing intentionally because they were just that evil. But the truth is, is that most Christians that I've ever seen, even Christians that have been used bring disunity, division, bring opposition within a local church. They never realized they were being used. They thought they were doing good. They thought they were doing what was right. You see, we need to first of all recognize that we are humans. We don't have to be controlled by the flesh. But unless we're filled and controlled by the Spirit, we will be controlled by the flesh. Something else I want you to keep in mind. You know that so many times when the devil is working within, within the church and opposing the church from within, it is very, very easy for us to look at that person, to point our finger at that person, to say, wow, you know, look what they're doing. How can they do that? How can they say that? How can they act that way? Well, even though self is our greatest enemy, it's myself, not their self. Remember, it wasn't Peter. It wasn't Peter that was standing against Jesus. It was Satan working through Peter. You see, what I want you to grasp is is I don't care what somebody else is doing. I don't care how bad that you think it is or how ungodly or what it is. The, the truth is don't start pointing your fingers at others. Let him that is without sin cast the first stone. We are all sinners saved by grace. We all fail God. And it's so easy to get ourselves up here and, and somehow convince ourselves that we're not failing as much as somebody else is. We find that when Satan himself is using individuals, when he is coming against. You know, Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, and through 1 Corinthians, he had to deal with them on such a so many spiritual matters because they were a very carnal people. They were that people that loving the world. Things were getting all messed up in that church. Why? Because he said they were carnal. They were worldly. 
They were the same thing that John is writing about in this passage. We find that as he begins the second letter to them in 2 Corinthians, do you know that he spends most of the first six chapters of there of dealing with this problem that, yes, men, I mean, people had done some horrible things in that church. People had brought about great disunity within that church. But he tried to get a message across to them because it'd be awful easy to look and say, well, that's just a bad person, and that person's caused me so much heartache, and that person has caused so much trouble with our church. But turn with me, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I don't have time this morning to read the whole six chapters. Maybe you want to go back and do that yourself. It is some good reading. And we find that it's a, it's a passage where that, that he is dealing very much with the church's attitude towards the Lord and toward those that have failed the Lord. Let me just read chapter 2. Listen to these words carefully this morning. Paul said to the church, he said, But I determined this with myself, that I would not come again to you in heaviness. For if I make you sorry, who is he then that maketh me glad but the same which is made sorry by me? And I wrote this same unto you, lest when I came, I should have sorrow for them of whom I ought to rejoice, having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. He's talking to a people that needed a whole lot of straightening up. But they were his joy. They were his joy. He says, for out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears. Yes, I had to, 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 to point out this that was wrong and that that was wrong and something else that was wrong. Not that you should be grieved, he said, but that you might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. I didn't do those things. I didn't think those things to, to make you less happy, to make you sorrow, to make you grieve. I did it because I love you so much, he said. But if any have caused grief, he hath not grieved me, but in part, that I may not overcharge you all, sufficient to such a man is the punishment which was inflicted of many. It's not for me to punish him. It's not for me to, to inflict anguish upon him. This is so that contrarywise, ye ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Look, you know, that, that one that's messed up, that one that's fallen, that one that's struggling, that one that you might easily point out and say, boy, you know, they're doing the church more harm than good right now. He says, Forgive him. Comfort him. Lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. You see, the problem is, again, it comes back to self because what we tend to do is rather than looking around and seeing who else is hurting, those that have messed up maybe, those that have failed, and, and really going out of our way to try to, to lift them and to help them and to, and to help them have joy, oh, it's easier just to feel sorry for me. <laughs> how can I help somebody else? How can I do something for them? Do they realize how much I'm hurting? You see, 
That's a natural thing, not just for you, but for me, for all of us, if we're not careful. Get your eyes off yourself, you see, in the church. Yeah, the one that's messed up, instead of bringing him more sorrow, try to comfort him, try to help him, try to, to bring him joy. Forgive him. He says, wherefore, I beseech you that ye would confirm your love toward him. I've said it many times. It's easy to say I love you, isn't it? It takes a lot more to show it. We talked last week on Remembrance Sunday. Greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. The thing is, it's easy for us to say, I love you and I love my church and I love these things I'm saying to you folks. You can say you love it till you're blue in the face. It's not going to be here because of that. It's not going to see the work of God accomplished because of that. You've got to occupy till he comes. You've got to do that, but at the same time while you're there, the devil's going to oppose you. He's going to try to discourage you and dishearten you. He doesn't want you to occupy. He doesn't want you to be involved. He doesn't want you to be committed to the work of God. He wants you to feel sorry for yourself. And he wants, to make, he wants you to make others sorrow. He wants to bring as much sorrow to this place as he possibly can. Well, forget about your sorrow. Try to help somebody else in their sorrow. You'll be amazed. God's way is giving. It's not taking, taking, taking. So many times, and it, I, I, don't, I don't say it. I don't say it with any anger or malice. So many times I hear things about what I'm not getting or what it's doing to me. Everything that we've seen about the church, everything about it, if we can get focused on the Lord and we can get focused on the others, none of us can even imagine what God could do in this place. The potential here is phenomenal. There's going to be opposition. Wherefore, I beseech you that you would confirm your love toward him. For to this end also did I write that I might know the proof of you, whether ye be obedient in all things. To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it for your sakes, forgave I it in the person of Christ. <laughs> you know, he was willing for the sake of the church. He was willing for their sakes to forgive those people. He says, and this is, this is really, really important. Let's read that verse again. To whom ye forgave anything, I forgave also. For if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it for your sakes, forgave I it in the person of Christ for your sakes, for the church's sake... Why? Look at the next verse. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. You know, God tells us, he warns us, he shows us what the enemy's going to do. We have got the victory. We don't have to be defeated, but we listen to the old liar, to the old deceiver instead. Paul said, look, church, get your eyes off the wrongs and the bad things that others have done or not done. He says, don't grieve them, but 
Try to bring them joy. Try to lift them. It's so easy. I've said it many times. Some things it seems like you can say over and over and over, it doesn't make, we are our worst own enemies. The worst enemies this church has are the people that complain because of this, that gossip because of this, that say this, say that, say the other. Hey, God says it's simple. I can't put it any more simple. You can take it any way that, that it comes to you that you want to take it. God said, if you allow me to paraphrase in Larry's version, if what you got to say isn't good and going to help somebody, keep your mouth shut. That's not to be mean. That's because lest Satan get the advantage. The devil's the only one that's going to use that. God will never get glory out of that. Folks, I don't say this for your pity. I sit, pray, brokenhearted time and time again because I see the devil getting advantage of the people that I love, of the people that I care for, because I see what God can do and what God will want to do. You know what? You put up with me for 23 years plus now. I still believe with all of my heart, God wants to do something great here. Not because I'm here, but because the work of Christ needs to take place here. And he's not going to do that through me. He's going to do it through the body as a whole. There is so much potential in this place. God could do such wonderful and great and exciting things. But he's telling us here, look, you better be willing to forgive and to forgive quickly if you don't want Satan to get the advantage. Because when you don't forgive, it'll destroy you. And then just like that cancer, it'll begin to, to eat away and it'll begin to spread to those around you as well. He says, furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel and a door was opened unto me of the Lord... I had no rest in my spirit because I found not Titus, my brother, but taking my leave of him, I went from thence into Macedonia. Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. But we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one we are the savor of death unto death, and to the other the savor of life unto life. Who is sufficient for those things? For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity be as of God in the sight of God. Speak we in Christ. Folks, I don't think that you really need me to tell you that we have great opposition. The church is a glorious thing. The church is what Jesus Christ himself has built, has established, has left behind for his work to be accomplished. He died for his church. It is the body of Christ on this earth. You better believe 
Satan doesn't like that. He wants to get any advantage that he possibly can. It's just too easy. It's too easy to allow the, the wrong of somebody else to become an even bigger wrong through me. They did something wrong. But instead of forgiving and trying to lift and trying to encourage and trying to help them to be more what Christ wants them to be, I go telling somebody else about how wrong they were. I make what was wrong bigger. I spread it even further. I bring even more disaster. You see, somebody's wrong can be magnified many times through our attitude to bring even greater harm to the body as a whole. That's what Paul's encouraging this Corinthian church to guard against, to have patience with each other. We all have many faults. We need to have a forgiving spirit. And if we're to defend this body against the great opposer, we must have forgiving spirits. I repeat, our greatest opposition is going to come from self, from me, from our flesh, which the Bible says we continually war against. Yes, we do have opposition from Satan. We do have opposition from society, and we will look at some of those things. But we usually expect opposition to come from. I mean, don't you really? You expect the lost people to oppose you, don't you? You expect a, a, a lost world to oppose you, that the society that's out there that prevails. You certainly expect the devil to oppose you. But how many of you expect to oppose yourselves today? <laughs> How many of you expect to fight your greatest battle not with the devil, not with Satan, not with society, but with self? You see, we've got to recognize the enemy. We've got to recognize what he's doing. We have opposition from all those other areas, but I want to leave you with this simple thought this morning. Bible says in the verse, for all that is in the world. I think that second word is pretty important, all. You can't make any exceptions when God doesn't make any exception. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, it's not of the Father, but is of the world today. Yes, Jesus Christ, he's the one building his church. He's the great defender of his church. He is our resource for everything that we need. But folks, let's not be guilty of destroying ourselves. We're going to look over the next couple of weeks. Well, not next Sunday because somebody else scares to be preaching for you next Sunday morning. But we'll be looking. And And hopefully in a way, in a positive way, to recognize the devices of Satan and what he's trying to do and shake our fist and stand up and say, that's enough. That's it. We are. Jesus Christ loved the church and he died for it, and we are going to defend it through him. 
first of all, by occupying, by committing myself, by being a part of the body that's going to make a difference and then standing up to all that opposes it, the opposition that's going to come against us. The victory is ours. There is no question about that. The battle that we're most likely to lose, though, is the one we fight with ourselves. Well, God will help you today. I look around and I can see all your faces here today. You know what? Each one of you is just a great, beautiful creation of God. God made you just like you are. But you know what? I, I, I only see that tabernacle, tent, house, whatever that you want to call it that you live within. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ today, there's something even more beautiful inside. But the only way that that beauty is going to shine through to your church family and to the world out there is for the Lord to really have control of your life. Because we got to recognize my flesh is vile and your flesh is vile. Our flesh will falter, it will fail. You better never, ever, ever learn to trust it. But yet, us being so feeble, we have the victory in Jesus. We have everything that we need in him. Today, I can look at each and every one of you, and without question, without a shadow of a doubt, I can say to you, you can't even begin to imagine what God could do through you. The beauty of Christ shining through your life, His power upon your life, what He can do with you. You can't even begin to imagine it. But it can be. Every one of you with Christ. You see, we can just try to survive till the end, and we'll look at some of those things, but the truth is, it's a lot more glorious to be part of what God wants to do with your life, to be part of what Christ would do through you to accomplish his work. I believe, I believe that this church can be a great church, can be one of the greatest churches you ever imagined, not because, I mean, as I should say, in spite of the preacher, but because of the oneness the body together with Jesus Christ in control. He can and will do so much. Father, we thank you this morning. Lord, I, I feel totally, completely as if I, I haven't even begun, Lord. I can't even find the words to express what you've spoken to this preacher's heart. Lord, I pray that you'll help me to, to truly Love your church more and more. Not this building that we meet in. We thank you for that, Lord, and we're glad that we can meet here in the warm and the dry. But I'm talking about each of these individuals that make up your church, that you died for, that you gave yourself for, that you left here to accomplish your work while you went away to receive your kingdom unto yourself and come back for us. Father, I pray, 
I, I pray that you can do what I can't do here this morning. I, I can't find the words. I don't know any way to even express it, but I pray that you would impress upon the hearts of those here today a bit of what you impressed on this preacher's heart. Help us to grasp, Lord, just what you will do through us. Lord, if we'll just truly, genuinely give ourselves to you. For it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. <music>